Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. For the second time in less than two months, the Sitka Assembly is seeking applicants for a newly vacant seat. Assembly member Rebecca Himshu resigned at last night's meeting. She's headed to Juneau this winter. Two weeks ago, voters elected her to represent House District 2 in the Alaska Legislature. The Assembly unanimously approved Himshu's resignation and greenlit an application process to fill her seat. For the next two weeks, the city will take letters of interest for the job, and then at the next regular meeting on December 13th, the Assembly will choose its newest member. Himshute only had one year left of her three-year term. Whoever is appointed to replace her will serve in the role until the next municipal election. Last month, the Assembly appointed Tim Pike to fill a vacancy following Dave Miller's uh, resignation. In other business, the Sitka Assembly approved on first reading changes to the permitting process for summer tourism vendors at Harrigan Centennial Hall. We'll have more coverage of last night's Assembly meeting on Raven News tonight at 518. The Assembly approved last night the final transfer of $8.1 million from the Sitka Permanent Fund to the Gary Paxton Industrial Park Fund for the construction of a marine haul-out. But that doesn't mean there will be a groundbreaking ceremony anytime soon. There are still a lot of questions about what $8.1 million can actually buy and how to get the best value for the money. The Board of Directors of the Industrial Park took a hard look at a planning document for the haul-out, called a charter, on Monday afternoon and agreed to forward it to the Assembly for further review. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The estimated total project cost of a marine haul-out and boatyard at Sitka's Industrial Park is $12 million, about $4 million more than voters agreed to withdraw from the Sitka Permanent Fund. Still, some feel $8 million can go pretty far, especially if the city incorporates the legwork and fundraising of a previous effort by the local nonprofit Sitka Community Boatyard. Linda Benkin is the executive director of the Alaska Longline Fishermen's Association and one of the principal organizers of the Sitka Community Boatyard. We put a lot of work into figuring out pricing for building this yard, and our sense was we could get it done for less than $8 million. I understand the city has ways they have to do things that might, will drive the costs up. Um, but we think it's really important that in building this yard, you build it for success. And we're pretty worried that if you build a yard that doesn't have utilities, it's not going to be built for success. The Community Boatyard Group was poised to sign a lease to take on the entire project last year, but withdrew in the face of rising costs. Nevertheless, Benkin said that her organization had residual grant funding, price quotes, and other resources available if the city wanted to draw on them. Municipal Administrator John Leach believed it was premature to begin negotiating the operations of a haul-out that hadn't been built yet. He felt the 80% majority of Sitka voters who approved the funding in October had sent a clear message. By approving that vote, they expect performance. And uh, we need to keep our eyes on the goal of this project. And what the voters approved is for us to build a haul-out facility. That was in the question. I think we need to be very careful to not conflate building a haul-out versus operating a haul-out and partnerships in a haul-out. The voters gave us $8.18 million of their money to build a haul-out. 
The approach to the project is somewhat open-ended. Public Works Director Michael Harmon explained that a manager would be hired to oversee the project and then to move to a final design based on available resources. The same process had been used for the Deepwater Dock at the Industrial Park. Park Director Gary White said CMAR, or Construction Management at Risk, allows a project to grow incrementally. As Michael just said, we're going to try to build as much of a haul as we can with the money we have available. But I just don't want fake folks being blindsided that once we get boats out of the water and they're like, wait a minute, you promised me a whole haul out. I'm telling you right now, I don't think we're pro- promising you a whole haul out. We're promising you as much haul out we can build for eight plus 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 million dollars. The project is divided into two phases, construction of the haul-out and then further development of the uplands. The charter schedule identifies the completion date for an operational haul-out as of February 1, 2025. Park Board member Mike Johnson agreed that the timeline could be streamlined if the board homed in on what was needed versus what was wanted. I think that uh, the public is really going to expect us to get boats out of the water as soon as possible. As Mr. Harmon said, there's there's room in here to potentially accelerate that path, depending on how we as a board handle this and how fast we can get input and decide exactly what we want and get it in black and white to the extent that that's possible. The board approved the charter and sent it on to the assembly. If the assembly signs on, the next step will be to recruit and hire a project manager called a port planner who will be on the job no later than February of next year. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. Communities on the outer coast can brace themselves for a blustery Thanksgiving, with heavy rainfall and winds reaching as high as 60 miles per hour in some communities today and tomorrow. Pete Boyd is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Juneau. He says storms of this magnitude aren't that frequent, but also aren't unheard of this time of year in southeast. So we're going to be expecting wind gusts, especially kind of for the Sitka area, uh, getting upwards of 40 to 50 miles per hour. At this point, we think most of the, sh- the strongest winds for overland are going to be a little bit further south, uh, the Heidelberg, Ketchikan area. But it's not out of the question to get some gusts up to 60 for, uh, for the uh, Sitka area. And then for rainfall, what we're looking at is as, the, uh, as it starts moving in, uh, we could be seeing about two to three inches of uh, precipitation. Boyd says two systems are at play in this storm. The first system will start to calm down on Wednesday evening, and right now it's a little too soon to be sure where the second system will hit heaviest tomorrow into Friday morning. Either way, the high winds will likely affect holiday travel plans. Any travel on Wednesday and Thursday is going to be difficult. Aviation is going to be uh, difficult because there's going to be a lot of low-level wind shear, so uh, a lot of planes taking off and landing are going to be getting a rough ride, low ceilings, low visibilities, and anybody who's planning on being on a boat, especially for the outside water, really needs to uh, keep, keep check on the forecast and what they're boat and what their captain's capabilities are, because this is going to be a pretty significant system uh, moving through, Moving through, so one and one stays safe as possible. Boyd says the best way to keep up to date with the changing forecast is by visiting weather.gov slash Juno and tuning in to NOAA Weather Radio. A black bear cub euthanized at Glacier Bay National Park this fall is the first in the country to test positive for a highly contagious strain of bird flu. 
As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, park visitors alerted wildlife officials after they noticed the cub's strange behavior. A cub was having a hard time walking and struggled to keep up with its two siblings and mother at Bartlett Cove and Glacier Bay National Park. Kimberly Beckman is a wildlife veterinarian for the state's Department of Fish and Game. She says concerned park visitors captured videos of the cub in October. They saw the bear cub. Um, they thought it was drunk. It was stumbling um, and then was abandoned by the mothers. Those symptoms are common with the strain, also called H5N1. It causes exhaustion and neurological problems like seizures. Beckman says the bear had no chance of survival at that point. It was, it was very sad to see um, the animal's not going to recover. Its brain was swollen um, and it would have died um, probably within hours had it not been euthanized. After euthanizing the cub, scientists took swabs and a sample of the bear's brain to test for rabies and canine distemper. They sent the samples to labs in Washington and New York for analysis. Beckman says the results came back positive for the strain of flu known as highly pathogenic avian influenza, or HIPATH AI for short. Um, test all wildlife that die with um, clinical signs or that are suspicious of having um, inflammation of the brain, encephalitis, or rabies. And we had to do the rabies testing on this animal before we could test it for, for HIPATH AI because of the um, risk from the tissues if it was infected with rabies. It's the first time the strain has been spotted in an Alaska bear. Wildlife officials say two foxes have also tested positive this year, one in Unalaska and one in Unalakleet. Beckman says the only other bear diagnosed with the strain was an adult female black bear in Quebec. Because it was the first report in the, the U.S. that makes it reportable to the World Organization for Animal Health. Um, they, they'll report, the uh, federal government needs to report that um, because of it being a, considered a, a foreign animal disease and um, of international importance. Beckman says the cub found at Bartlett Cove was likely infected after scavenging a sick or dead bird. They have to inhale a, a large dose or, um, you know, while they're scavenging an infected bird, then um, get that virus um, laden into their respiratory passages. So it does not go bear to bear. Animals can also become infected by the virus by ingesting water that has been contaminated by sick waterfowl. She says the risk to humans is very low. Just four people have tested positive for the H5N1 flu worldwide, and just one in North America. But the virus has devastated poultry and wild birds. Nearly 50 million have been killed or euthanized this year alone, according to the CDC. In Alaska, wildlife officials say the Matanuska Susitna Borough is still a hotspot for infections among backyard flocks. Beckman also says Sitka has recently seen infections among eagles. Fish and Game also reported infections among shorebirds, ravens, and waterfowl statewide this summer. Wildlife officials say residents should report sick, orphaned, or dead animals to the Alaska Department of Fish and Game.